All right. Well, greetings, 10 a.m. service. How are we doing this morning? So far, so good? This is the late service. Yeah, which feels weird, right? Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt. I'm the campus pastor out here. Uh, just oh, it's such a blessing uh, and joy to serve out here uh, and, uh, and love it. And especially Sundays like this where I get to talk about marriage. Uh, it's my favorite. With my wife in the room, I just, I live for these. Um, uh, coincidentally, I, I've had to teach on marriage here three times in the past two years, uh, and it's never been my decision, <laughs> right? Like, Key, our senior pastor, kind of picked the series. He's like, yeah, we'll do a marriage here. Matt, pencils me in. Uh, and so I'm like, cool. Uh, but uh, anyhow, all to say, um, I'm in this with you. Uh, we're in the third week of our series titled Home. We're just talking about the home and how we're building a home. What's the home for? How did God design the home? We're talking about a lot of different things. Uh, and, uh, and this morning is, uh, is marriage. And so uh, all of you unmarried people in the room, listen up. Uh, this is what you're looking for. All the married people in the room, uh, you're too late. Uh, you, <laughs> you messed it up already. And I don't know what to tell you. Uh, but anyhow, no, uh, hopefully this will be a blessing to all of y'all, right? For those of you unmarried, just something to look forward to, uh, and something to look into in a way to guide your own heart right now as you, uh, as you one day will pursue this, uh, um, this calling. And then, um, for those in the room, hopefully to glean some stuff here. Uh, but for me, I think one of the best, uh, you know, I grew up a child of the eighties. And so when I think of marriage, uh, this is kind of what I think of, uh, Conan the Barbarian, right? Uh, and, and like, this is just what I grew up with was like, again, child of the eighties, it was Conan and Rambo. It was like, it was just the era of roids, right? Like we just, it was all of the super Jack dudes that I felt like I identified with and, uh, and right. And they just, like these insane movies and have ever gone back, like, you know, and I haven't watched any of these in like at least a decade, uh, probably longer than that. But if you ever go back and you watch one, you're like, what in the world even is this, right? Like, they're so crazy. But this is actually uh, Red Sonia, this movie. And if you, to watch this movie, you had to really be a Conan the Barbarian fan because uh, this was like kind of subculture of like all of that, uh, which we did. We loved this. We watched this. Um, and, so, uh, and so in this story, right, is this woman, uh, Red Sonia, who uh, is uh, trying to overcome some issues from her past. Like there's just this, all these things subjected to her. Uh, and, and, and there's this evil queen trying to take over the world. She meets Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they actually fight. At first, like, there's this like sword fight and all this, and, uh, and then by the end of the movie, though, uh, they have linked swords, and they are now like, um, like allies, and they are trying to defeat this evil queen together, uh, right? And they're riding on horseback, and just lots of decapitations, and unnecessary blood, and violence, and I was like, yeah, you know, as my little eight-year-old self, or whatever, and, um, you know, just like, it was so cool, and I remember like, you know, probably clutching my little... Uh, you know, plastic machine gun, and, and just thinking, I want to do that someday, you know, I want to ride off into battle with her, you know, and by my side, and I want to, I want to chase after something that, uh, you know, and I want to do it with somebody, you know, and I think deep in all of us is this deep longing to, to pursue community, but also to pursue a calling, and I think woven deep into the every human heart are two great longings, a longing for intimacy to be known and a longing for impact to make a difference. We want community, but we want a cause. 
to be part of something and to be someone, right? Organizations that link these two together become powerful organizations, right? Like the military, right? They offer a great sense of community in oneness and they're pursuing the same goal together, right? Or like the church, right? But this is also our picture of marriage, right? Getting married is not supposed to be y'all sit down and look in each other's eyes and just try to find meaning. Rather, it's you link hands and you pursue the meaning that God has called you to. You don't invent the meaning. The meaning is set before you. And so in marriage, you take that meaning and you take somebody else and you pursue it together. Your marriage is strongest and safest when it is pursuing this goal, when it is pursuing these things, when it is committed to the cause of Christ. And what is that cause? I'm glad you asked. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. If you have your Bible today, we're going to have it on the screen as well. Um, And so uh, we're going to take a little fresh look at this. And here's Here's the thing, we're getting, this series is really in Ephesians, uh, and Ephesians 5 is that classic marriage sermon text, right, that you hear about wives, submit to your husbands, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, that whole piece, and we're going to get there. But first, it's important to see that what Paul is doing in Ephesians when he's like writing that down is he's looking back to Genesis 2. And what happened in Genesis 2 is God cre- is creating the institution of marriage, but, but since then, and it quickly, like, as soon as two people get married, there's a problems. And so, like, that sin comes into the world, and it all, you know, goes south. And so then Paul, by Ephesians 5, is looking back to that and trying to bring us back onto the same page of, of the how God designed this and bring us back from what? Something here in Genesis 2. So let's start here. Uh, I'll pray for us, and then we'll jump into the text. Father... Uh, as we unpack marriage here this morning, uh, really our goal is not just to become better at the institution or, or to know what we're looking for later in life here, God, but, um, but to be better followers of you, to be stirred in our affections of you, God. And so we just pray that you would do that for, for the heart in here that needs to be exposed a bit here this morning. I pray that you would do that like a loving father. And for those of us that need to be encouraged today, in this thing that, that you call marriage, God, would you do that? Man, there's just, I mean, we just can bring up that, that word, this thing, marriage, and it, I mean, it can bring up a million different um, emotions, feelings here in this room, and I pray that you would take all of those, bundle them up, and mis- minister to them in only a way, God, that, that you really can, and so uh, would you do that here this morning as we unpack your word? We love you. Amen. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So he has created all the things in the world so far, except for one thing, Eve. Eve is the only thing he has not made at this point in in, uh, Genesis 2. And so man is alone. I will make a helper suitable for him, right? And so helper in the word, right, is we're talking about companionship. He's saying, okay, I need, I need someone, right? It's the, it's the, it's the work of someone pursuing this alongside with somebody, not behind somebody or not in front of somebody, but partners, it's, it's one goal, but it's two people. So it's two people linking arms together, pursuing one thing. This is the helper. This is the idea here. That is companionship. You should be friends before your lovers, not the other way around. Right? That they're bringing together to chase something together. And out of that pursuit, intimacy is created. Two people, one goal. 
Now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, which is just a funny, you know? Like, and whatever the man called each living creature, creature, that was his name. So you have to imagine, like, God, like, here is the, you know, the, this whatever beast, and they're just, like, ushering him on, and man's like, elk, elephant. You know, like, it's just, and then God has to, like, accept it. You know, like, he doesn't have to, but that's what he does. You know, he's just like, porcupine, really? You know, but he's, like, just going with it, because he's letting man, now, why does he do that? Because it's important to God that we exercise our identity. That we are made in his image. God, on the first day, the second day, the third day, he's creating things and he's naming them. He's ascribing them something, right? Because he has authority over them. And so, so he's, he's creating day, he's creating night. He'll call it that and say, it's good, it's good, it's good. He's naming these things. And so now Adam, being made in his image, he's calling him up to say, now you try. You're made in my image, you're mine. I want you to start naming some things, right? He's, he's partnering with his kid in ministry, which I think is a really beautiful picture here that we get in the dad. And maybe he messes up, platypus. That was wrong, bro. Like, what are you doing? But, but God goes with it, you know? And he's like, okay. You know, because it's important that Adam is working this out as he pursues the Lord himself, right? God is inviting the man into the work of God. <clears throat> For Adam, there was no suitable helper, helper found, right? So as Adam's naming all of them, he's like, no, like that, you know, not a helper. You know, like I, I could understand a dog like would be great, you know, just companionship is cool, but not really the helper that I'm looking for. And he's like, this is lame. I'm alone. Uh, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Right? It's like, this is one of my favorite part of officiating weddings. Right? He sees her for the first time, you know, when she comes, just about to come down the aisle. And my favorite part is as soon as she comes into view, I look at the dude. Right? Because you just want to see, like, what's his reaction? Is he going to lose it? You know, like, I got to see. Is he going to cry? I'm like, ready with the Kleenex. I brought this just for this moment, if you need it, bro, you know, uh, to see if, like, he's seeing her, right? And this is what Adam does. He sees her, and he erupts in worship immediately, right? He break, breaks out in song or poem or whatever, and, uh, and that's how he does it. Much like Adam, like, that can be an emotional moment. And so Adam names her. Why is this significant? Because what Adam is doing is he is living into the authority that he has been given from God. It's not something that he took or grasped, but God says, here, here is the helper. Now you are called, much like you were with these other things, to now lead it, but here's how he started. He didn't start by naming her. He started with worship, right? This is now bone in my bone. He's thanking the Lord. This is beautiful. This is amazing. He's studying her. He's seeing the parts about her. There's this, this intimacy, this transparency in there with her already. And out of that, he exercises the authority given to him by God to then name her. After he knows her, understands her, sees that this is a gift from the Lord and his own responsibility in that, then the leadership of her comes. Do you see the order? The order is important. And so for us men, our leadership for a woman that we are called to do is birthed out of a place of worship to the Lord and out of a vertical relationship here that gets straight before you start trying to work on that horizontal one. 
You get right with the Lord, and then you'll be positioned to be in leadership over your wife. But that's got to get worked out first. And you're like, well, that probably explains a lot of the issues you have in your marriage <laughs> right there. And so he names her. And a man is meant to look at his wife and say, I am willing to be held accountable to this. Right? That's, that's what the man is to do. Right? And the, he, he looks at her, just her. You just got to figure out one, dudes. Just one. All right? But he looks at her, not all the other girls. You look at her and you say, Lord, I will be held accountable for her. I will take on that mantle. And it's not, a, it's not that he's ascribing her value. Man does not ascribe woman value. God does that. God's already done that. You don't make her valuable, men. She comes valuable to you as a gift from the Lord. And so what he's doing is he's, God is looking at them saying equal, right? These are equal. But he does ask Adam to initiate on her behalf. And then when he does fail to lead her, he is held accountable. So verse 25, we continue. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame, right? They were flourishing in creation. The two had become one flesh. It was total union, total transparency. When do marriages work best? When no one's hiding. Right? That's, we see immediately once sin enters, they, they hide from each other, they hide from the Lord. And so something has gone wrong. Sin does enter the, into the world due to man's failure to lead well and during the temptation. And paradise is lost. Right? And God will tell Eve one of the most interesting things in Genesis 3.16. He'll say this. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Doesn't that just sound great, ladies? I mean, sign me up. Lordship over me. I like the sound of that. Right? This is part of, of what we call like the curse in Genesis of him describing like there's going to be pains in childbirth and you're going to feel this also. Your desire will be for your husband and he will now rule over you. This is fascinating because this is what to me explains the conflict in marriage. It's this. This is the struggle. This is the conflict. Why? Because your desires due to sin are now misaligned. Because y'all are both now bringing selfish desires into the mix and y'all are both going to try to dominate one another in this relationship to get what you need and what you want. And now it's not a symbiotic relationship. It's, well, I need mine. Well, I need mine. Well, I'm going to load over you. Well, I desire this out of you and da, da, da. And now there will be a misaligned issue. And so is marriage hard? Yes. Of course it is. If there's any hope in here, hear that your marriage is not unique because it's difficult. It's not the purpose of marriage. Marriage was not created to be difficult. But there are issues. There are issues, and yours is no different. And, and this is the real struggle. I often say this uh, uh, sometimes in marriage counseling. When I'm listening to people. I'm like, listen, y'all don't have marriage issues. You don't have marriage problems. Marriage problems don't exist. He has problems. She has problems. And your problems got married. <laughs> and then you created a bunch of other little problems. But it's just our problems are marriage, right? Because you're taking your, you're taking your history of expectations, of experiences, of ways you were in, encountering and dealing with the world, your own spirituality, and then you married someone else who was different than you. 
And now you're coming together out of these two things and your individual problems are starting to rub and cause friction to the other person in those problems. So these problems are getting married. Your desires, your desires are meeting and they're not always each other's union desires. And so that's just, this is part of the curse. That now your desires will be for different things and not for y'all pursuing the Lord together, but to be getting something out of one another. And so now enter Ephesians. Paul, post-Jesus, is going to try to rein it in, right? We've lost the marriage based on God's plan from Genesis 2, and so we need to get back to it. And so Paul is trying to redeem it here now as he's speaking to a Roman culture, which, by the way, ended up being a huge evangelism piece in its day, right? Because during Roman occupation, right, the Roman marriage was wonky, right? The the average Roman dude would have uh, several different women in his life. He would have an official wife, Uh, And then he would have, like, a woman that he went to social things together, right? Like, that was the woman he wanted to be seen with. And then he'd have another one just for childbearing, right? And then he, and then depending on his status, he'd have another one that, you know, or or several others that were just, I mean, yeah, basically just mistresses. And, And at that time, right, marriages were assumed to be open and very fluid, you think this served either of them well? It certainly didn't serve women. And ultimately, it absolutely did not serve man, which is what led to a lot of the sexual crazy uh, mishaps in, in the Roman culture that we hear about. But, but as, a Christian, as Christian marriages began to take hold in Rome, and, and as, as Paul was calling them to this, the Romans looked at that, and they started to give this, this marriage lifestyle up. They were looking at that like, that is so wildly different. God, how are they so happy together? Well, because he's not sleeping with seven other people. That's a start. But also because they are pursuing something together. They were on mission together. And there was something so beautiful to, this, to these Romans looking in from the outside that said, I mean, what do they have? Gosh, I want to be a part of that. And they were starting to give up those lifestyles and starting to entertain the gospel because they were so attracted to the Christian marriage. Could you imagine if that was the state these days? So, he's bringing us in, calling us to the uniqueness of a Christian marriage in Ephesians 5. Let's start at verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Jesus. Not the dude, by the way. Savior. All right? Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife uh, loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife eventually. And the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. Amen? But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. 
like I said, it was just last November, I preached a whole sermon. It was just on submission. That was the entire sermon, just submission. So if you're really curious about me unpacking submission, I'm not going to do that here because I literally just did it. Uh, you can go back and watch that. Uh, but one thing I do want us to ask ourselves is how can we take this, how can we take this Ephesians 5 passage and transform it into that kind of marriage that people are looking at and they're like, dang, Christ rose from the dead. How do we, how do we make that transition? How can we do that? Well, the big question is, or, uh, well, and he answers the question, really it's the first, it's, it's the thesis statement of this passage where he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The whole passage begins with a mutual submission, with a mutual submission. Y'all are submitting yourselves to each other as you pursue this thing. Because this is really Christ's picture with us. This is what he did for you. You realize that Christ submitted to you? He did so on the cross, saying, all your sin, all your stuff, all your shame, all your guilt, all the things that were meant for you, I'm going to submit to that and scorn its shame and pay the price that you could not. This was Christ's relationship with us. He submitted himself to us in that way, endured that on the cross, and so now we're called to do the same in marriage, right? And so this is the not-so-secret. <laughs> Serve one another. Like, that's really it. Like, I mean, dudes, you can do a lot wrong in marriage. But if you just look to her and try to serve her, man, you'll cover a lot of that stuff. And so the big question is, how do we do that? How do we serve one another? Because oftentimes, and I know you've had this argument in your house if you've been married more than nine seconds, is you tried to serve but it wasn't what they thought was serving, right? And it's just like, well, I this, well, you this, well, you that, right? And this, this mess. And, and so how are we serving each other? And here's what I mean, right? Wives are so close to their husbands in the relationship that they can see flaws more clearly than anyone else on the planet, right? Like they just see it. In fact, they know them more than you do, dude, right? They see them in you and, uh, and, and they, they see them. And because they see that and they see it a lot, and they, and they can see that, uh, they see that in you, and they think, surely, surely he would want to be the best possible version of himself, and surely he would want to know about these things that are wrong with him, and so I will let him know, out of love and reverence for him, these flaws that he doesn't see, I will help him see these things. And as I bring them up to him, he can lovingly and immediately correct him, right? Because he should want to be the best version of self. I'm just helping him become all that he can be, right? Ladies, if this is your husband, I would love to meet him because he is probably the second coming of Christ, all right? Because that's not how that works, is it? No! Right, you bring that up like, hey, babe, do you realize that every time you duh, like, blah, right, this thing, and then what? Like, it, it gets lost in this whole thing, and the guy's like, well, you never appreciate me, and you don't know, and I'm just, you're just so impossible to please, and I can never be enough, and right, it just erupts into this whole thing, causing the man to just feel inadequate, right, which can send him into this, like, dramatic tirade about how he's never satisfied, and you're never satisfied, and he starts bringing up things from, like, when y'all were dating, and right, it just gets lost, and it gets crazy, 
right? And about six or eight, you nevers and you always is later, like you're in my office on a Monday afternoon. <laughs> and so Paul is going to separate out these two and you say, husbands, here's, here's your plate to feast from. Wives, here's your plate to feast from. Working on these two things will result in y'all partnering together for a goal. The goal is not yourselves. And that's often the problem in marriage is we get locked in and we just start looking at each other to try to figure this out. And, and the meaning of your marriage isn't found within yourselves. It's found outside yourselves in the pursuit of Christ. And so she'll so say she'll take these, <clears throat> right? So he's going to take them apart. And, uh, um, and this is interesting, right? And, I, and, I, and I, I don't know. Generalizations always scare me because I've been in ministry long enough to know, like, not all guys are like this and not all girls are like this, right? Like, I, I know a lot of times where, like, some roles change a little bit in personality and all that. Um, but I will say that uh, uh, generalizations can be helpful for us. As we, just, as we try to discover and learn our spouse, right? To know that men are different and girls are different. And that's not something to shame away from. It can be scary, it can be difficult, it can be hard. But, but so we'd like, for example, uh, uh, our brains, all right? And maybe you've heard this before. I heard this a long time ago and it just like really stuck with me. But, uh, right, like the man's brain, um, right? This is the man's brain, okay? Right here. Notice. The organization okay like we got a box we got a lot of boxes in there all right there's a box for everything right there's a box for for money for the finances right this is a box uh what's the next box we got a box for food uh yeah there's food in here that's an important box for us by the way uh we really like the food box uh if you're gonna put something in there make it tasty okay so um so these are all boxes right and we have rules we have rules about the boxes, all right? The contents of the boxes do not touch the contents of the other boxes, all right? They stay separate, okay, right? I don't, I don't want the food box getting into my money box, right? Right, if you're going to open up, what's this? Family, right? If you're going to open up my family box, let's, and here's, here's, here's the other rule. While this box is open, you do not open another box. <laughs> Ladies, all right? This box is open. The other boxes are off limits until we close this box. Now, now, and only now are you free to bring out the other box. Now let's talk about money, right? And this is, this is how we work. This is the dude. It all has its place, and it's beautiful, and it works for us, right? All compartmentalized away, right? Nothing, nothing touches it, right? In the other box, right? But then you come to the woman in her brain. And it's a little different, fellas, because her brain looks like this. <laughs> All right? Right? I can't even separate. This is your brain, ladies. It is all connected. There is no escape from the kind of synapses you can make to connect everything. Because for you, it's like, oh, well, this is the money, right? And it's tied to, like, your job and your job. Well, it affects where we live. And it affects, well, what school the kids go to. And then also this. And what about your in-laws? And, and, right? and then you keep going, like, yeah, well, well, what about, when do we pick up curbside? And then, like, everything for you is all messed up in here. And we can't, and, and, and you... You love it. You're like, right? 
You're just going in and out all over the place, geeking out how everything is connected. And if, and if your brain was this like soup of pasta or whatever, the water in it that kind of makes it all happen is like feelings, you know? And so you're going to cook all of this in emotions. And when you do that, when you do that, you connect some things in different kinds of ways, right? It makes them stick, right? Because what happens when you connect a strong emotion to a memory, right, and a feeling, what it does is it makes you remember it, which is why y'all don't forget a thing, okay? Right? This is why ladies, they remember everything, right? And men, the same things will happen to you, but you won't remember them. Why? Because frankly, we don't care. <laughs> uh, ladies, you just got to know. Oftentimes, we just don't care. Um, in fact, in fact, in all these boxes, as we're, as we're going through them and we're going to certain places, uh, we have a real, like, there's a box we love to come to. It's probably our favorite box that we have, right? And we'll come to this box because this is how we deal uh, and we'll, we'll open that box up, and we love hanging out in this box. <laughs> There's nothing in it. And this is our favorite box, right? This is where we'll go to. We'll come and hang out in here, right? We'll be like, this is why, and, and ladies, you hate this box, <laughs> right? You hate this box because, right, we'll get home, and we'll go sit on the porch or we'll sit somewhere and just sit there. And you'll come up and you'll be like, babe, what are you thinking? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> well, you can't be thinking about nothing. Yes, we can, because we have a nothing box, ladies, and we will go there. This is scientifically proven. The University of Philadelphia did a study, and they have found that men, while conscious, have the ability to almost completely go brain dead, to just almost no brain activity other than vital functions. Men have this capacity, and women don't have the capacity. Why? Because this is you. It's all connected. Right, but a man, this is, and why is this important? Because this is how we deal with stress. This is oftentimes like how we're dealing with, you know, uh, uh, like issues that come up, we'll come to this nothing box, right? And, and because we're trying to disassociate because we don't know how to do that, like leading is hard enough as it is and, and we're just, like, we want to put it away for a minute, right? Well, maybe we have a box for that problem, but right now I need to live in this box. I'll come back to that box later, but the boxes don't touch. But ladies, you'll come in and you'll be like, this room needs curtains. No! <laughs> Off limits. This is our nothing box. What's in the nothing box, ladies? I need to hear you say it. Nothing. nothing. All right? Nothing. It's locked tight. Don't, this is our space. That's it, right? It doesn't mean you have to love it and accept it and, guys, that you're off the hook of ever communicating with your wife. That's not what this is about, right? But, but and so, why, and so why even say this? Like, what are we talking about here? Well, two things. Number one, I feel a deep responsibility for nothing box awareness. Ladies, you need to know. It exists. Number two, because learning to serve your spouse is hard work. It is hard work. So hard, in fact, that many of us just feel so defeated that we probably just stop trying. 
learning how you're, right? That, that moment where Adam looks at her and begins to know her, feel her, understand her, see her, and worship the Lord for it is a hard thing for us to do as men. It's probably a really hard thing for a woman to do, especially when she's chasing this, you know? Like, it's just different. But it's a hard and holy work, and it's part of this mutual submission that we have a responsibility to learn and to know each other. What motivates them? Well, what doesn't motivate them? Well, how do they feel served? How do they feel loved? To discover these things. Okay, he's in the nothing box. I hate that box, but I'm going to let him sit in it for a minute. Right? Everything's connected for her. I can't assume that she's not going to care about how the finances are impacting her stress level, which is impacting her job. Right? That's what she's going to do. And let her feel those things. Let her express those things. They're connected for her. Know that. Right? And, and have a better kind of communication. You know, I mean, conflict is going to be in marriage. I often find that the marriages that don't have conflict mean that they don't have communication. That's really a conflictless marriage is a communicationless marriage, which is usually because of one of two things. Either one, one person in the marriage has, has either decided to take the reins and despite who the other, how the other one feels, I'm pressing forward and this is what we're going to do whether you like it or not. And they just take the thing and, and they just, they take complete ownership and the other one has to then basically just Go with it despite how they feel. Or the other side of, that, uh, of the coin is, right, or one, one abuses the other emotionally or even physically. And then, and then it just creates this community, like now, now there's no safety in there and you can't exist in marriage in that. Neither of these is biblical. You're meant to join together helpers, mutual submission in pursuing this together. And so uh, he breaks this out in two things, just some real quick things, one about women and then a little about men, uh, and then we'll be done here. Ladies, gosh, this is, I mean, I hate marriage sermons. Uh, you, have to, you have to appreciate that, like me even preaching these and even as I'm practicing them, I'm writing down like, yeah, I don't do that either. Like, that's, like, writing this is such a conflict for me because I know I'm going to have to get up here and preach to a woman who doesn't get this from me all the time. Like, we're all in this together. And I need y'all to hold me just as much accountable uh, as, as I'm here to help us all as we pursue this together. It's not easy. Marriage is difficult. Ladies, your primary role is submission, is to submit. And if I had to define it, I'd say it this way. Submission, submission is the wife's inclination to receive and affirm her husband's leadership. Submission for the wife is the inclination to both receive and then affirm her husband's leadership. Wives, one of the most powerful things you can do for your husband is accept him. <laughs> Which is powerful because it's hard. But one of the most powerful things you can do is accept him. Like, one of, the, one of the ways that I think that, uh, I mean, even in my own marriage, like, nothing changes my heart faster or has a more profound impact on how I lead Sarah than when she decides to accept me in those moments I least deserve it. That's what drives me to want to be better and to lead her in clearer and more biblical ways, is when she loves me and accepts me, accepts me right? Right? Uh, and so he will struggle. He will struggle to lead, ladies. He will struggle to lead. Why? Because leadership is hard. 
Leading is difficult, and frankly, culture does not celebrate a man who leads these days. It is a hard thing to do. I mean, it's a risky thing to do because you can look back and no one's following you. And so when he makes these attempts and as he struggles and fumbles through it, do not meet those attempts with, it's about time. Right? Because what are you going to do? You're going to squash his attempt or his, uh, his willingness to want to try. Right? Do not meet with it. With, do not meet the attempts with, a, well, you're only doing this because Matt said it. That's a great thing if he's doing it because I said it. That's a husband who's paying attention. Right? You want that. But see it and affirm it. And then pray that God continues the other works that you know you want to see in him, that you hope the Lord is in and working through him with those other issues. But no, you probably won't be the one to change those things about him. That the Lord's going to have to work on him, maybe some external influences or consequences. But as he does fumble and try to lead you, affirm those things, right? If you're going to meet those with the bitter words of sarcasm, you can expect him to stop trying. And to potentially stop trying for a long, long time. Those words matter. And it will, it'll affect intimacy, right? David, when he comes back from defeating the Philistines, will, will dance in the streets, right, of Jerusalem. And his wife, Michael, will look at him and call him out and say, why are you dancing in the streets? You're making a fool of yourself. And it'll say that he never touched her again. The words are powerful especially coming from you, ladies. It matters. Like, he can shake off a lot of stuff at work. You think, oh, he's strong, he's got this. But with you, you can set his world ablaze. And so be careful and pay attention. But submission is not this. It is not the absence of opinion or the absence of challenge. This text is not telling you to sit back and wait for someone to call on you, ladies. That's not what this is. As much as you can, though, find a way to challenge the action without challenging the man. Right? There's a way to challenge what you're seeing without challenging his spirit. Right? Uh, I call it like if uh, you want to make sure you're focusing on something that is situational and not necessarily dispositional. Meaning that it's like point the things out, the behaviors that you're seeing instead of, well, you're just a dark-hearted person, right? That's the wrong way to probably approach this. But rather, hey, I'm seeing these things. What is that about? What's going on here? Like behaviors you're noticing. And so make sure you're finding ways to, to, to look at the action and not challenge the man. And is this hard? Yes. That's why it's in the Bible commanding us to do so. Because it's hard. I'm not saying, yeah, so just go do that. This is difficult. And Christ will call us to it. Why? Because this is the comparison of the church's submission to the Lord. A difficult and arduous journey lived out over long-term struggle and obedience. Your role, ladies, requires finesse because let's be honest, men are shockingly dramatic and oftentimes sensitive. Again, specifically with you. Because it's those who are closest to you that have the greatest capacity to hurt you. Because you've given them the most weapons to do so. Trust, intimacy, they know the things. They know where to get you. Men, uh, what is your role? The one word for you, initiate. Your role is to initiate. Right, I mean, imagine, of all the stuff, 
plaguing the culture today. You're never going to see someone tweet out, the issue with the world today is men initiating on behalf of their families too much. Right? Like, no one says that. That's not the issue. That's not, that's not the problem of the world. Right? Men, the world does want you to lead. There is an outcry for it. It wants you to lead. It wants you to initiate. And you're like, uh, I don't know about that, Matt. Uh, I'll prove it. Ladies, you got a choice. You got two dudes you're going to go on a date with, all right? Different times. You know, don't date them at the same time. That's not the way to date, all right? Uh, and so you have a dude over here, and, and uh, you get in the car. He's picking you up, and you're like, what are you doing? He's like, I don't know. Whatever you want to do. And you're like, okay. Uh, or this dude over here, and you get in the car, and you're like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, okay, I had a couple ideas. One, I found this place. It's by the harbor, a little seafood joint. I don't know if you like seafood, but I was going to go by there. There's this little path you can walk along the beach or this little boardwalk. thought it would be kind of fun. Maybe play like a little carnival game or two, you know, just kind of hang out, and then maybe just finish it with a little, like, intimate walk on the beach. thought that would be fun. Hey, but if you're not into seafood, I got this little Italian joint. Kind of tucked into town, had this little intimate dinner, candlelight. I know Mario down there. He's pretty cool. He makes this great, uh, you know, uh, fried mozzarella. He's got a really cool Chianti from his family's vineyard. thought maybe we could have that. You know, maybe sit down, just have a nice little meal together. And then after that, who knows, there's a little cappuccino joint, you know, around the corner. I thought that could be fun. But you know what? You choose. I've kind of narrowed it down. Those two things. What do you think? Who wins? Ladies, who do you want to date? Who do you want to date? I don't know. (laughs) Or I got a plan. And it's to initiate on your behalf. The initiator wins every time. I have never done this poll. And the ladies are like, I really like no plan jack. Carl in this church, but right? No one wants that. There is an outcry for men to lead in this way. For men to take up that thing that again was handed down by God in a response for us to then worship and then lead out of our worship of the Lord. The world wins when a man puts down his own desires and uses his energy to lead others to a more worthy cause, but more importantly, a more worthy man. This is one of the core issues in marriage, that often the man's issue is they feel the woman should be pursuing them. However, the role of a husband is to help your wife pursue Christ. That's the pursuit. That's the holy union. That's the goal, to walk towards, to run after together. And it shouldn't always be your wife who has the idea to go to church, to attend that study, to pray together. And perhaps you're not great at this. And you would like to start initiating things like this, but the problem is, is like I just said, well, now if I do that, it's going to look disingenuous because you just said it, and now I'm going to go home, and my wife's going to be like, oh, you're just doing the cut, you know, and... And you'll, you'll get in your own head about it. And so while you know, even as I'm talking, there's this thing I know I should be initiating in my marriage, right? A date night, a prayer, whatever that looks like. You know there's that thing, but, but you know right after you're like, I'll wait in a couple months, so it really looks like it was just my idea and just like leading through it. And then you'll be here 10 years later in a leaderless marriage. Don't let this lie of I can't start now lead you into another five years of spiritual lack. It is never too late to do the right thing. It is never too early to start. Pursue. 
initiate and chase after together. It's interesting. I just think this is fascinating, right? Can a man take submission from his wife? Can a wife take initiation from the husband? It's not possible. Both must be given to one another. This is the design of marriage. That marriage is meant to be a mutual giving in, investing in by both. Because this is God's economy. We gain by losing. Because this was Christ's relationship with us. And as we do this, hear this. And I've, and I've probably even said this a few times a day, right? Marriage is not a picture of Christ in the church. Marriage is a pursuit of Christ in the church. Meant to be on holy mission together, showing the world what it's like to pursue a Savior who first pursued us. And that's my prayer for you that your marriages would become adventures and not ball chains. They become something that, that as your kids look up, that later in life they think, that's something I want. And that you would find it life-giving, not life-sucking. As you pursue the one who authored life for you. Amen? Why don't you all stand up this morning as we close. Before I close, we do have, if you, man, if you want to work on your marriage, here's one way, have a date night. Uh, we have kids night out coming up October 28th. So you can just drop those kiddos off with us and y'all go get some sushi or whatever. Uh, but go hang out, go do something. We, we're, so that's October 28th, you can drop them off with us. We have the middle school lock-in coming up, which I don't know why, I thought that was a good idea. <laughs> but we're gonna do it, uh, we're gonna try it. It's that same night actually, because what? I need to, what am I doing? Hold on. Um, uh, and uh, anyhow, but, but so get out, right? Find the ways. Uh, but also immediately following this service now, uh, we're having a starting point. Just an opportunity to come and, and meet other new people uh, and, and just have a lunch. We have a free lunch for you. It's going to be in the student auditorium, which is as you exit these doors. It's the left set of doors out there uh, in the back. And so tables are already set up. Lunch is set up over there. Uh, go get started. I'm going to be over there in a second. But, and I know a lot of you have already signed up to, to be over there. But that's just an opportunity to find out from us, hey, like, who is Banningburn? What is Banningburn? What is their mission, their vision, their values? Uh, and, and how might we walk alongside in that? What does it look like? to be a part of this church, uh, I would love for you to come over there and check it out. You don't have to have registered to come. Just come, right? Uh, have a free lunch, if nothing else. Uh, and uh, and we love to have you. But yeah. How y'all feel? We good? You're like, thanks for, the, thanks for the awkward lunch conversation, Matt. This is great, right? Just gonna shake that Coke can up and throw it at you. But there you go. But there's hope. That's what you should hear. There's a great hope found uh, in what is possible through the restoration work of Christ. Uh, and that's what marriage has. It has that power. It has it, right? So today, would you go with that power and that blessing? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. And when the Lord look upon you with his favor and grant to you and your marriage is everlasting peace. Amen? Amen. See y'all.